What's good guys, this is the first episode of Impact Podcast. I am your host, Sai, and today I'm with the owner of Fisty Cuffs Podcast and amateur MMA fighter, Dan Lester. How are you, Dan? Yeah, it's been alright, man, working from home. I got a call from my mate saying that his missus has tested positive for COVID, so now I've got to isolate just whilst my test results come back, so a bit of rest time I could have done with. Anyway, so you know, stars align, so good. It's always good, man. How you been holding up? What have you been up to? I'm good. Um, well, obviously, I'm at uni, so I'm just doing uni work and training when I can. Um, Are you training normally? Oh, it's just outside in my back garden. Not fair enough. So, okay. How, why the podcast? How come Fisty Cuffs came about? So the podcast in itself has been a sort of an ongoing thing in itself. So, like, if you watch, like, Joe Rogan, Dan Strauss's podcast, those sort of things, you get a feel for what it can be. You see these people you respect, these I don't think the competitors, again, not everyone necessarily knows them, but you you give a shit. You see them, you're like, okay, cool, I want to pick your brain, I want to understand how these things happen. But it's not having that platform to do it yourself. So with Joe Rogan, there's a lot of people on I don't really want to listen to. And again, it's you think, okay, if I have my own version of this where I can speak to people I want to speak to about things I want to speak about, perfect. And everyone else listens, it's a bonus. And when um, the first lockdown happened it kind of gave me a chance to really sort of go with it too, with both hands because again prior to that it was just competing training rinse and repeat but then having that window where you've got all this free time and everyone's hanging about just perfect so I thought jump on that and here we are now I think we're just under a year now to be fair you and Joe Rogan made me want to do my own podcast and I remember I wanted to do it last year but the like the laptop I had was just in bits already so I couldn't record anything but like I loved like a couple of your episodes because like there will be people that I've trained with that I know like Steve Lee Mitchell, um, obviously Jack Mason. I trained with those guys and I was like, oh my god, this is actually pretty good. Um, yeah, and then um, yeah, I wanted to do it and then um, so the following year, this year now, I've got a new laptop, so I managed to record everything, which is great. That's perfect. So those guys at BKK are so sound as well, because again, I only knew them initially from seeing them fight, mainly on Cage Warriors, because I followed Steve's career for a while, and obviously Lee sort of popping up as well, building his own sort of pro career in itself. And Jack Mason, I have to admit, I've sort of followed after the fact of knowing who he was from seeing those guys. And then I went over for a session like between lockdowns, and they were just so nice. Like, in person, you think, okay, it's a podcast, they've got to put on a media voice maybe, but no. They were just so sound in yeah. person. I think it sounds strange with Steve, but Lee was so nice, so was Jack as well. I mean, top boys can't speak hard enough of them. Yeah, like, being in the same room, then they're actually, yeah, they are nice people. Like, I can back you on that. So, okay. Charlie Falco didn't get a shout out there. He's <laughs> Char- Charlie's nice. He's a good training partner, so. I see. Underappreciated, that's what he is. <laughs> uh, okay, going to, obviously, MMA. How's training? How, like, You've been helping anyone out, or like during obviously this lockdown, how hard is it to train, or is it been the same? So, training is a tricky one in itself because obviously there's guidelines, and obviously, sneaky, sneaky training we can't talk about, but again, it's one of those ones. So, I'm getting things in where I can. Um, I could go in more detail, but people just get upset about everything, so yeah, I'm doing what I'm doing. And that's the end of that conversation in itself. But as a whole, training is, is getting more efficient with limited number of sessions. Yeah. It's now quality over quantity. When I go to these sessions, it's not an obligation. It's, a, it's an opportunity. I want to be there. I'm asking questions most of my time there because, again, these sessions could be gone in a second. We know full well with the pandemic how quickly things can be taken away from us. You've got to appreciate these things now. Yeah, that's true. That's true. 
I mean, for me, like, for training-wise, I just do it for, like, my mental health and just getting fit. Um, but, again, I try to do it all, well, it is all outdoors at the moment, but um, but it is kind of hard for me as well. Um, especially being in third lockdown, not really seeing anyone. It's like, MMA has probably done a lot for me during this pandemic than overall, I guess. Um, okay, moving on. In what sense, like, before we move on okay. from there then, so what, what do you mean is MMA's done for you in that sense? Because again, um, without having the, the group on. to train with, what has it done for you in that sense then? Uh, it's like, for me from not focusing on art, oh, being in that gym vibe. Ah, oh, it's weird to explain. Okay, um, so for me, training with others, it's more of uh, competing, getting better so you can compete more. But during the pandemic, it's more uh, just letting go, being yourself, and just working on yourself, not just focusing on a competition or um, anything like that. It's just you having fun and training at the same time. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Not taking the same pressure is a different thing in itself, enjoying it. Am I right saying that? Yeah. Okay, moving on. Um, with, obviously, you've got pros in at your gym at BST. Um, actually, before that, have you ever... Because um, I used to train at BST as well. I don't know if you... I remember being in the same room as you, but I don't remember actually meeting you back then. Does that make sense? Vaguely, again. You see, I see a lot of people come in and out of the gym and stuff. Like... I'm always really nice to everyone, but again, I'm always clever on make because I forget everyone's name. Oh, right. So I don't I'm not great with faces. How long ago was this the old place? Was this the Soul Central place? Yeah, that one. That's oh, yeah, a couple of years back. Yeah. But yeah, I was there for, like, it must have been three years, probably four years ago now. But I used to train with Asan. Yeah, Asan too. Yeah. Shout out Asan. Yeah, shout out to Asan. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, the gym. He's so sound as well, but yeah. Everyone calls Mass and Titties in the bits and bobs, but he's so sound, man. He's one of these guys. He just, I said, said this a little while ago, that he's one of these who just fucking grafts. I remember his first inner club, mm. and now like, he's like 3 0, 4 0 as an ammo. Yeah, again, he's just 4 0. Pace, pace. He's horrible to train with because he's just relentless. He just he just doesn't stop. He's like the Asian Terminator. Anyway, it's another conversation. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Is there any fights you're looking forward to? Like from amateur or pro? As in from myself or as in just general upcoming events, what do you mean? Yourself and in general as well. So my fight was moved from March to May and again with all this sort of stuff. The dates are fairly arbitrary. Well, if they come through, they did come through. I'm training as, as normal with the same kind of intensity as if I'm going to compete tomorrow. I don't really give a shit on that side of things. Um, regards of pro sort of thing, Cage Warriors is what's really exciting at the minute. Um, obviously Jordan and Morgan Charrier are having their title fight. That's going to be huge for Jordan himself, his career. It's a very exciting matchup for some fan perspective anyway. Um, Tom Mern, Steve Amable, those guys. Obviously, Steve needs to recover his arms. I'm not sure how he is with that. But when he's back in action, I'm interested to see where his career goes. Um, Tom Mern's got an, trans- yeah, an interesting fight set up for him. It's not been publicly confirmed yet, but it'll be an interesting matchup depending on how the game plan goes. And just a minute ago, we've seen... Um, Ke- oh, what's his surname? Ken... Capi, I can't remember his name is Ken K. What his name is? I can't remember what his fucking name. And Do you know what Jim? Yeah, he trains with um a Hardy Warhead now. He trains with um uh Jimmy Warhead. Ken Capian, what's his name? It's gonna fucking annoy me so much. I'm gonna get it up. Sorry, I keep swearing so much. I don't know why. I'm trying to show off. <laughs> <laughs> Where's it gone? Yeah, I'm reading now. I still can't pronounce it. Yeah, 
Jim Richards fighting a guy called Kent, he's sick. It's going to be an exciting fight. I don't know why I made that such a, a meal. Really. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it's going to be really exciting. What about yourself? Um, actually, I'm looking forward to um, that Jordan one you just said. Um, also, I just want to see all my guys back in the cage as well from BKK. Steve, Lee, um, just them two and whoever else. Emra has moved to um, uh, Great Britain top team with... Um, yeah. Brad Pickett. Yeah. Uh, I want to see him back in the cage. Um, but yeah, I'm, l- I'm looking forward to that flyweight division as well with Luke Shanks, Jack, is it Jack, Jake Handley. Jake Handley. Jake Handley. Handley. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, this is where it gets really interesting with cage warriors flyweights. Yeah. So obviously Lee Mitchell fl- floats between bat and weight and flyweight. I'm not sure where he's going to go for his next fight, but that's always an interesting contender in itself. Yeah. With the flyweights, you've got Sam Creasy up top. You get Jake Hadley and Luke Shanks in between those guys. So the thing is, if Jake doesn't go to the UFC, he's going to either fight his friend and teammate, Sam Creasy, which I'm not sure if Sam wants that or not, or who else? Because, again, whoever else is in there, they're all off a loss. Adam Amasinga lost to Sam. Um, Connor Hignett lost to um, Adam Amasinga. And, again, it's a bit of a... It's a busy one, and it's a tricky one. Firstly, morally, could you fight a teammate if push comes to shove? Oh, this conversation with people. Well, could you do it? Only, okay. If I, if it came to it, it has to be for a title, and we both mutually agree to it. And afterwards, we're still mates as well. Mm. That's the only I'm time sure. I'll do it. But other than that, I probably would never like. If it if it was on the table and they asked me to do it, I'd probably say no. If it's not for a title, what about yourself? Yeah. It's one of those ones. I'll compete against anyone. I don't give a shit. Oh, this right. sport isn't it's not personal like as much as everyone's like it's their dreams in the way thinking well yeah we can move it around there's more than enough bodies to sort out but worst case scenario you know if we just borrow in the gym we just you know put up a notch the only issues I'd find with that is logistics of training properly and obviously the emotions and everything else but you know what you sign up for you don't compete to make friends you compete to improve and test yourself Yeah. and whether or not you know it's against someone you're familiar with you respect you love you know it's a coincidence that's fair enough um Okay, going back to um, MMA again, but can you tell us about your experience on your like your first M- amateur MMA fight? Oh god, this is okay. So disclaimer here: it's not as miserable as it sounds, but it's, it's a mixed bag. So the first fight I had was a guy called Omar Williams. Given the initial matchup, so I've been training. I've been training about two years, maybe. Not long after getting my blue belt, so I've got my blue belt in the. October of the last year and I fought in the May so a lot long after that so training was per had a relationship moved jobs so training wise it was only really Monday to Thursday intensely on a Friday morning so kind of really crashing it in here diet's pretty much starving myself it's not really a bit bro science nothing too special so camping itself is fairly miserable and I'll tell you this first round of my first spar fight camp this is horrible I go with Jordan, and Joey fucking does. He drops me like a sack of shit. So he clips me. I can't remember what it was. I think it was, it was a hook to turn my head and a cross behind the ear to drop me. And you think about, okay, here I am. First round of camp. I'm going to, you know, feel great and get stuck in. That's what happens. I'm like, nah, fuck this. I had a big lump on my head thinking I feel sad now. Fuck this. But no, it was all right. It's one of them ones. So camping itself was an interesting preparation. It was trying to, there's a, a lot of experiences trying to find out what works and what really doesn't work. Making the weight to catch weight 68, no dramas at all. I was a little bit under, no problem. Day itself, excited, looking forward to it. But didn't really eat too much, just that bit of, I don't know, 
I'm saying because there's more excitement. I was buzzing to get in there. By the time it comes around, I'm fucking starving before I walk in there because I realise, okay, my nerves are still there, but okay. I've been on going to miss a little while ago, but here we are. Making the walk. Here we are. We're cool. But the weird thing is with this event, so it wasn't like um like a sports tour where it's dark and being lit after the fact. It was just in like a an event room in like a hotel. So it was just really, it was just weird. It, was, it felt strange in itself. It just felt like, I don't know. Well, what show was that? This was um, Own the Cage. So I think it was initially like one of these, you know, like a white collar show. I think yeah. the first half of the events were like white collar MMA fights. So the second half were actual amateur fights. All right. I think that's how it was. Um, first 15, 20 seconds, I go to take him down. I get swept, but I catch him in an armbar straight away. He gets out of that, so I think, okay, what's this guy made out of? I get him another armbar, I spike him in my head. Stand back up, rest of the round, I'm sort of panting a little bit, but it's all right. I get chinned a few times, almost get stopped. That wasn't very nice. But I'll tell you what, that woke me up. Um, second round, I get him down. I have him in a bomb flu, which isn't really there, but it's enough. And then I get mount, go for a triangle, have him dead to rights. He knows. He told me afterwards. He told me in a podcast we did. I had it. I had it there. I had his name on my win and tapology record right there. <laughs> but again, I don't know what he's made out of, but he couldn't get triangled. Unreal. So there we are, round each pretty much. He gets out of that. I'm covered in his blood. I think this is fucking, this is sick. I'm loving it. Well, halfway through, I'm like, yeah, this is, this is fucking quality. <laughs> third, third round, though, the most tired any man has ever been ever. I'm in the corner just like, <gasps> <laughs> like, beyond, like, I'm so gassed, I can't even gas. I can't even, like, catch my breath. It's horrible. So what does anyone do at that point? Panic shoot. So off the bat, pretty much shoot straight away, get sprawled on. And I'm just basically defending an anaconda for most of the fight. <laughs> and then I think he gets me like a rear naked choke, but one where I'm just so gas-like, to the point I'm trembling afterwards out of like adrenaline dump. And I was the most depressed I think I've been in a long time because it was just one of those where it was such a moment and having it so close to having that finish and everything else is, I don't know, it knocked my confidence for ages after the fact, thinking, okay, I don't know why, because it's amateur, who gives a shit about amateur? Yeah. But the experience itself was fucking mega. I'm not sure what the question was. I sort of just told you a little story, but here we are. Oh, fair enough. Um, I feel like, because I had my first amateur one back in November, two years ago now. Is it two? Yeah, on the Whiz Beach one, uh, Impact. Oh, yeah, yeah, Impact. Yeah, with, um, what's his name? Uh, Lee Dosky, who does the MC, and who runs it? It's, um... Chris. I, I can't yeah. remember his second name, but his first name's yeah, Chris. I know, yeah, yeah, I know who you mean. I can't think of what it is. It's, um... It's Whiz Beach, middle of nowhere. But yeah, go on, sorry. Anyway, yeah, so I felt confident. Like, I made weight, um, like, properly. I felt I was after weigh-ins, because it was the day before. And obviously, it was made weight. I think I came in, like, 61 point, like, 2 or 5. I can't remember now. But, um, yeah, I did that. Felt fine. Eating normally. Then I ended up getting, a, like, a little coleslaw on my lip. I was like, oh, shit. Like, that bugged me a little bit, but it wasn't, like, ma- like major. But on the day, I was, like, warming up, everything, felt confident. And, because he's from Peterborough Immortals, and Jordan trains there as well, doesn't yeah, yeah. he? And what got me a little bit, I looked to the left to see who was in his corner, and I saw Jordan, and I know Jordan's striking's amazing. I was like, oh, what have I got myself into a little bit? I was like, oh, like... It was like a couple of minutes before getting in the cage, the nerves hit me. I want to say that it was that, but like I was getting in, breathing normally. I had one of my coaches and my brother in my corner. 
um, walked in, felt fine, and then he was the guy's name is Robert Leo. Lou. Yeah. Um, but he started jumping. I was like, this guy is too jumpy for me. I don't know what I'm gonna do. Um, but I wasn't like I did. I want to say I got I switched off as well. I want to say that because I wasn't thinking. I was like, oh, this because he was barely touching me. He was jumping and he was just barely touching me. I was thinking all this like jumping and all that and he's breathing heavily and I'm not doing anything about this and it was getting to me and then I remember him getting to the cage and he was just swinging and I had my hands up I thought it was covering nicely then he caught me with a left hand and I went out I was like oh shit and then I don't remember getting out the cage I don't remember getting dressed but when I like start when I got dressed I was like wait hold on what happened so I was asking those of the questions like, "What happened? Did you put like ask McCullough? Did they put clothes on me? Because I don't remember putting the clothes on." Uh, but that was hilarious. But then, um, yeah, I was like, "Oh shit!" And then um, it's scary though, isn't it? That sort of thing happens. Yeah. Sort of okay, shit. I was on it for a cage fight. As much as like you train MMA, you sort of crack on with it. This yeah. is just the cage, but you know, beat the shit out of each other. This is quite quite scary. <laughs> um, oh shit. <laughs> But I think after that I was alright. I was like, oh yeah, done and dusted now. Just have to work on what happened. And after that, I was like, I was looking forward to. Actually, last year I wanted to get onto that Northampton uh, battle ring in Northampton, but I didn't know how low I can get my weight because I wanted to fight at flyweight, and I was sitting heavy. I'm still sitting heavy right at the moment. Um, then again, there was a another impact show. I think Asan was on that, and one of your other guys fighting for a title. Do you remember? I remember we were one where it was Asan and Reese both fighting for a title, and that show got cancelled. Yeah, that's the but one. Prior to that, we had like six of us there. We had Albanian, we had Barbie, we had everyone on that show. Oh, Lucas. right. Yeah, it was a big show, that one. Yeah, it's middle of nowhere, that one. Though. I remember one of those shows we drove to, and like, I don't know how many people crashed their car on the way back. It was so icy, and it's literally middle of fucking nowhere. Where is what's the gym that runs it? It's really, really annoying me now. Abaddon. Avedon, yeah, I don't know why. Yeah, that's the guy who runs it, Chris it? Um, Thompson, I think. I don't know. I can't remember. I don't know. So it's always a Thompson, I think, normally, as we're all with these fight shows. It's someone Thompson, but yeah, it's um, an interesting show in itself. It's quite a nice mix. It's got a nice entrance because with most fight shows, it's quite a mix of how they want to do it. What I liked about that sort of show, even the size of the venue, you still have quite a big walkout. You've got your picture on the big screen. It's a whole thing in itself because even with like the size of the venue, they do a lot with it. It's nice. And I remember. I think one of the corners had like a little play area of like the little warm bear. I thought it was quite sick. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, other than MMA, is there any other competition he's done like combat sport wise? Like BJJ or Nogi or anything like that? I competed a lot in Jiu Jitsu. Um, white and blue belt loads. Obviously, have belt not recently because I only got that back in December. Um, competition in that sense has been a bit of a frustrating one. It's only mid blue belt, start blue belt, I really started enjoying them. Um, boxing, I did a couple of charity ones, but even then, like just deer in the headlights, for really, I didn't quite. It's taken a while for me to want to compete. Yeah. Prior to that, it's been like an obligation. Like, if I want, if I want to get the glory, I've got to compete just for that sake, and it's have to sort of rush that part, not for wanting to get stuck and wanting to test myself. No, I want the end result, which isn't really the right motivation. Doesn't really mean anything. So it's only recently I've started to really appreciate that side of things. What about yourself? Uh no, I've never. I always wanted to do it. Uh, at least not a nogi. 
Um, but I see lockdown happen, pandemic. Like I had other ideas during like twenty twenty that I wanted to do, but then obviously lockdown happened and it's all gone out the window. But yeah, I, I need to learn a lot in jits because it's like falling apart for me. I mean, I could defend well, but then attacking wise, I just need to learn a couple bit more. I'm I'm still like a white belt, but um, but again, I was trying to get in and do. Because I don't like the gear to be honest. The gear annoys me. I'm more of a no gear guy. But um, I've been talking Never to. Says you can't use the gear. <laughs> yeah. So, um, like, so I was talking to guys that are like training both. They said just treat it as it's no gear. I was like, oh, yeah, fair enough. And then just been trying to do that. But at the moment, my training is just all stand up, striking, kickboxing, Muay Thai stuff. Um, but that's it. If there's any consolation, I still get squished and I'm a purple belt. Like, I remember when I went to that session of BKK, Jack Mason just squished me. And then, like, it's one of those ones. I was like, okay, I've been training for years now. This shouldn't be a problem, but he's a he's a big boy, and when he only puts his weight on you, right? Yeah, I'm not moving. And I'll tell you what really impressed me with that was um, Fal- Charlie Falco and Emily Mitchell, because we're doing these, like, sparring and that. But what they do really nicely, bear in mind, they fly like, they fight a flyweight band away, 57-61. I'm 6'2", I compete at 66, but normally I walk around mid-70s. They do so well controlling me and positionally changing on the on the ground because again, this is something that small guys get so sharp on is their positional awareness and their weight distribution. Those guys are so airtight with it, it's spot on. So yeah, that's where you can really see the sort of skill level there. It's so hard to appreciate unless you sort of feel it. <laughs> and trust me, I felt it. It's horrible. Was that was that the Chelmsford gym or the Colchester one? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's Chelmsford, yeah. I've got to see my nan, she's Chelmsford, Colchester away, so. Oh, how long ago was that? Because that's the Chelmsford one is like where I train. Oh, uh, this was like, this was between lockdowns. This is when it actually was legit, like actually oh, right. legit, not just like, you know, legit. Right. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Um, Yeah, okay, let's talk about UFC because there's been a crazy amount of like events just happened. Uh, How did you feel about the last card, Usman versus Burns? You don't talk about a card because it makes me too upset because I love Jurino, he's my boy. He's one of these, my head said who's moving, my heart said Burns, and I want my heart to burn with Burns' glory. But no, he just got, I don't know, what really impressed me with Usman, as everyone knows anyway, is defensive wrestling. Because you think about how cleanly Burns engaged. When I say he engaged, single legs, doubles, the penetration shots were there. And for Usman to still defend, even like spot on, and his jab was just what won him the fight. And the reason the jab works so well, because if you're with someone, it's like Burns, for example, who you know he's going to try and take you down and try and submit you. You know they have to engage. You know they have to come in your space. And if you can control the distance the way Usman did with that jab, that fight is yours on the plate. Yes, there's always the punch to chance. Yes, he can outstrike him. Yes, this, that, and the other. But what Burns does really well is mix it together. But if you can keep him out of the way Usman did, terrifying. Terrifying. Fair enough. I, I did have Burns uh, to win in it as well, but um, mm. I just felt like uh, he was breathing really heavily like in the beginning of the rounds and then I think that's what got him a bit with the jab as well with from Usman but yeah I was like back to the other question if you would you fight your training partner and I think that was like a situation where that was like they were good mates do you reckon they'll go back to training with each other or do you reckon they've just switched gyms now well, it's been switched anyway, yeah. and I think after the fact they said they respect each other still, and they, they both get it. I think with this in itself, when it's literally the title for the UFC, 
they both get it. They both get that. Yes, they're mates. Yes, they're former training partners. Yes, even though Usman said they're just acquaintances, which really even hurt me a bit. I thought, oh, that's a bit cold. Like, that's the business. That's food in your table. That's money you're getting in your bank, whether or not you're mates or not. I will tell you and anyone else now that if you're standing in the way of me, I provide for my, me and my family, I'm going to knock you the fuck out and take that belt. <laughs> that's not anything personal to the individual. That's just, if this is what's stopping me from earning that much more to keep that extra level of security for me and my own, that's what I'm going to do for it. If it's just like the novelty of an amateur show just for a win in your record, it's not really the point. You can just reschedule your stuff. But if it's like a serious like competition for your career where you can really go with things, you can't, there's no real friends as such in the same breath in the sense of, for example, um, Sam Creasy, Jake Hadley. They train together, they're good mates, they crack on. But who wants the belt more? Then what? Whether or not they will or won't fight each other, this is a conversation. They're just names I've chosen arbitrarily because in the same division, in the same conversation. Yeah, so especially in amateur, would you reckon it's important for fighters to study the opponent or do you reckon it should stick with the pros to study their opponent? Interesting question and the reason why I like this question a lot is I answered this in a, indirectly in one of my other videos and with this what it is is at professional you've already established a game you start developing on that game and then what you've got there is how you're going to be plus a bit more polished then at amateur you're still trying to find your game and my answer for this was when I first started competing I thought I was a jiu-jitsu guy a two-strike white belt I thought it was a jiu-jitsu guy what the fuck does that mean <laughs> and then you start getting these biases like if you're not changing almost worlds between these fights especially with these kind of layoffs there's an alarm bell somewhere so regards of like if you watch my for the reason like if you watch my fights on YouTube you'd think I'm shit and I wouldn't disagree with that because I think I'm shit from those fights those performances are embarrassing but anyone who goes for those fights to judge who I am and how I'm going to fight, how I'm going to come out, they're worlds apart. You're wasting your time. And I'll openly say that because I'm proud of that. If they were the same as that was in those last fights, I'd be embarrassed. And this is sort of the point. So amateur, you should be making such massive changes. If you try and say, oh, they're going to do the same rest. There's always a reference point. So it's what you're taking from it. If you expect them to do certain things of, okay, they're going to shoot these doubles off these, these striking combinations, maybe... That sort of thing. What you really want to look at is bad habits. When they pull through their jabs, do they pull back in a certain way? Do they posture up when they get scared? Do they do certain things? That's reference points, but again, that's all it can be. It's just a reference point. If you put the composure in the cage to remember these reference points, I'll be quite impressed. But outside of that, if you're in frame of mind, I don't see as much value in it. What do you think on it? Um, I think... Amateur, it doesn't really matter because no one really matters about amateur. But obviously in pro, it's just a good idea to set up a like a game plan. Um, so yeah, if your opponent's in a, like a wrestler and you've seen there's videos online that like he's, where he's like if you can see a hole in his game, and you can take advantage of it, it's a good idea to study on that for pros. But an amateur scene, I don't think it really matters. Again, like I agree with what you just said about finding yourself in amateur but I think it's just more important in pro than it is in amateur but um, saying what you just said about um, on your last fight did you see any like holes in your opponent's game because I watched that one I, just, I loved your striking and that how you used your distance as well um, but did you see anything that uh, you've just adapted to and like took advantage of like your opponent so 
out of my fights, that is the one I'm most embarrassed about, my most recent one. <laughs> what? I'm more embarrassed about that fight than the one I got knocked out and I cried. I made that very clear. Oh, okay. Because in that fight, the recent one, I didn't pull the trigger. I came off a knockout loss. I was against someone a foot shorter than me. All right. And I just survived for basically three rounds just to try and edge a win. Right. And it's it was safe, but safe isn't enough for me. Safe isn't a fight. I don't... I, that was fighting to win, not to fight. And I... Mm, it, it left me on... It, it rubbed me the wrong way. All right. But things I saw in that fight, the way I would approach it differently is forward pressure in the leg kicks. Because again, Paul McManus, don't know what it is, his legs quietly turned in. Me watching it, me seeing it, everything but me in there would shout, chop the fuck out of that, break that leg, chop it to pieces, mercilessly. But in there, for some reason, couldn't get my range with it nice, couldn't find my weight properly, I don't know what it was, must have been offset, whatever it is, who knows. Um, the range was quite nice for some of the jabs I was using, but the right hand didn't seem to follow. I found him too far outside of my range, that I was a little bit far out, so I have to do more explosive, more aggressive, like Superman punch to close that space, to try and at least cover it up. Right. But one thing I noticed up against the, I think he tried to clinch up against the fence, and as soon as I was sort of gripping up with him, I thought, okay, you don't want this. I was on just so much stronger than him, and I don't know why I didn't even bother doing that straight away. Because the double leg at the end, when I took him down to really put an exclamation mark on it, I thought, if I just did this at the start, it would have been my fight. I think I could see him like expecting it because he's doing like uppercuts on that in the um, change room. I thought, no. If you knock me out, I'm just going to top myself now. I'm embarrassment. Like, what's this? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's one of them ones. Um, was there anything in your corner, like between rounds? Was your corner just telling you, oh, chop that leg? Or um, especially in the mindset you were in, um, was there anything your corner was saying to uh, trying to boost your like confidence up or giving you some advice that, oh, just do it, you're going to win? So there's a few bits of advice we thought were spot on. So Danny, my coach, he is very good at clocking people with sort of mental sort of flagging or mental sort of doubt. Normally he's in quite a manipulative way when he's sparring someone or when he's fighting to try and really get in their head. He's had people quit on the stool because he just gets in their head. And he was doing really well to keep my head level of, that's a nice high guard, keep doing that, keep being composed, just throughout general feedback, which really kept me in a good head space. So I'm like, okay, I'm doing this well. He's giving me constructive feedback. This is working nicely. Little things, making sure I'm not defending too shallow a bit properly, make sure I'm shielding it properly, that kind of stuff. But Reese Teasdale, he shouted at me saying about his head, that head kick is there all day on the fucking plate. And I think I landed it jab, cross jab, and like a little slap. But the thing is, I didn't quite crack hard enough, but it cracked nice. I didn't, I didn't think it would connect the way it did, but oh, or if that dropped him, I would have, that would have been me sort of. But again, it's one of those ones. You look, it's so weird. Watching it back versus being in there to see the space and the side. I don't know, the range feels so much weirder. I don't know, it feels like you're so far away when you first start a fight that I don't know why you just can't quite clock that the same way. It was a really strange one. Was it a fairly big cage or what? Would you know the size of the cage when the one you fought at? It's mm, about the same size as the BST one, I think. It's not professional, it's not a five metre one, I don't think. It's just a standard thing it's three meters i'm not sure oh okay but no it wasn't particularly like big or small it just felt right but again i think it's the lights in the moment in itself it's quite a surreal thing because i don't know the way who described, i think the sound said this that when you go to fight it's like you're in your own movie and you're watching it from a third person because it's all like autopilot it's really fucking strange and it's so spot on though it feels like okay this is all very autonomous i don't know what i'm doing right now who's your favorite person to spar with when you're in the gym 
So I've got different sparring partners I like for different reasons. So one of my friends who comes over sparring every now and then, he's quite fun, is um, Antonio Luca. He was the, I can't think which weight divisions he was. He's been champion in different weight divisions. He's fought for a while. I think he's going pro soon. But me and him have this perfect pace of intelligent pressure where we're putting the pressure on each other. We're not getting hurt. We're getting a lot, a lot of nice exchange, a lot of scrambles. Those are the perfect rounds for me. If we've got that mutual understanding that we land, we can we can connect, and we're transitioning, we're being more explosive, get a lot of work and a lot of positional stuff. I love that. Um, there are people I like for different reasons, but generally that kind of thing. When we when they get a nice flow to the sparring, because there's people I don't mind having wars with. The people I don't mind, you know, a bit touched by in the park. That's fine. But people who you can get that competitive, happy flow state. I think Antonio Lucas probably my best MMA sparring partners for that kind of side of things. Fair enough. I feel the same because um, I feel like there's certain people that I spar with. There's like I only choose them because there's something I want to work on. So for example, if like Charlie, he's a good wrestler. I want to work on my like different wrestling, and it always takes me down. I was like, oh, I need to learn how to get back up again. And Charlie's perfect for that. And then um, mm. with my striking, I, do you know someone called Ollie Childs? Is that amateur? Um, I think his last fight was on Rise of Champion. Okay, the Abrapicus one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. but anyway, he's a good striker and like his striking's like mint. And is there something like I want to work on striking? Just go with him. Um, but yeah, that's two. I just um, how is um, Alex? Do you know Alex Elsley? Elsley. Yeah. yeah, he um. He was actually one of my coaches. Um, and then he moved to Northampton. I was like, all right. And he started training with you guys now. Alex is a funny sparring partner for me when it comes to striking because we're both so lanky and so long. We both try to do the same thing, but we're so far away from each other. <laughs> it's one of them ones. His grappling is shit hot, though. I remember the first time I rolled with him, he just mangled me. And he still mangles me. I haven't rolled with him in a, lot, in a while, but I'd imagine it would be much further apart from that if happens again. He'd use his long limbs to mangle me the way I should be mangling people. All right, I think that'll be all for today. Um, thanks again. Um, being my first guest on the Impact podcast show. Um, my pleasure, my friend. Thank you for your time. Thank you, everyone that was listening. That was episode one with Dan Lester. Hopefully, next week will be episode two.